Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. It's across the room of us, 52, and we're here to talk about the catcher Mercato and Tiago Pinto. Are we happy with his work so far? Are we not? What are we seeing similar from Roma side gone by? And what's different so far under Jose Mourinho? But first of all, a little bit of news roundup. And as usual, it's me, Sean, and to my co-host, Steve. Uh, Steve, how, first of all, how are you feeling today? I'm doing well. It's been a couple of weeks since we we got together for a recording. But, you know, it's been a, a relatively slow summer, I'd say, for the Calcio Mercato around the peninsula, not just with Roma. So we finally yeah, have some stuff I, to talk about here. Yeah, I, I've actually forgotten to check what other clubs have been up to before I decide to, you know, give my judgment on, on how Roma are doing, because <laughs> you never know, like, in, in the context of say, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure you, you'll tell me later on, but it could, it could be, it could look very good or it could look very bad, I'm not sure. Um, but if we're going to talk about anything, first of all, it probably is, would be the one-all draw yesterday between Porto and Roma in the friendly. Uh, Roma continue their pre-season retreat in Portugal, and they just as Stephen told me just before, yeah, just drew with a team that you know basically knocked Juventus out of uh, Europe last season. So it's not not a bad result on paper. And uh, Steve, you also you brought it to my attention last night, and we were just talking about before before the air. One player in particular from the Roma side was embracing some you know this new antagonistic spirit that's apparently going around Roma right now. And who was that? Yeah, Gianluca Mancini. Not surprising, I guess, when you think about it. He scored the goal last night for Roma on a header. I believe it was Agnolo on the assist. Uh, off a corner kick and you know not the most exciting match like we talked about beforehand you know it had that preseason friendly feel guys trying to find their legs uh, a lot of Roma's bigger players ended up playing 90 minutes as they build up toward that uh, I think the first conference league match is uh, the 19th of August and the first match in Serie A a few days after that against Fiorentina so uh, seeing the the fitness built up I think Zaniola went 65 70 minutes somewhere in that range I think he fell somewhere in that in in between those two numbers. So good to see him building up. Um, you know, Rui Patricio, I thought had a solid match. He made a couple nice saves for Roma. So 
you know, I wrote our goalkeeper preview, which will be coming out in, in the coming weeks, uh, talking about, you know, good and bad scenarios for Roma. And if, you know, he plays like he played yesterday, I think Roma's in pretty decent hands compared to what we've seen in the past couple of seasons. But getting back to Mancini, um, you know, you talk about that antagonistic manner in the 56th minute, um, you know, he gave them the lead and it, we, there was an incident, which is uh, all over social media by this point, he was even on ESPN FC of Pepe, you know, the Portuguese defender, not, not the former Simone Pepe of uh, Juventus <laughs> or anything, but Pepe, the Portuguese guy, you know, he's got a bit of a, a mean streak about him, nasty center oh, back. No, really? Yeah. I, th- I thought you were going to tell me he was he was busy in the 56 minute handing out candies to everyone. <laughs> yeah, so he came in hard on Mkhitaryan, and Mkhitaryan took exception, and the whole Roma team took exception, and we had a bit of a scuffle going on, you know, right along the sideline. And it was good to see everybody rush to, you know, Mkhitaryan's defense. Uh, nobody backed down from Pepe or any of the Porto players. And that's the mentality I think that Mourinho likes in his side that it, it fight to the nail. Should be said in fairness to Pepe, um, if I can offer any defense to him, Henrik Mkhitaryan did kick out his face mm. afterwards. After, afterwards, yeah. Afterwards, yeah. Yeah. But it, it was definitely a rough challenge for a friendly, uh, an unnecessary yeah. challenge at that. And so Mancini's comments. Yeah, yes, so Mancini's right. comments after the match, we played the game we were expected to play. This was a tough opponent because Porto is a team with a fighting spirit. The level of play was raised, but we did not back down, although it's clear that they're ahead of us in terms of preparations for the upcoming campaign. And when you look at the, the numbers, they they did outpossess Roma, outshot Roma, things like that. But it took until very late for them to score. Right. Uh, and he said, we could have avoided conceding the goal in the final minutes, but overall the performance and the team spirit were there, and that's what matters. And then Mancini spoke about mentality, which is the, the part I wanted to get to, I think was the most important. He said, the coach is constantly instilling it into our heads. At first, we have to understand the mechanisms and the things he asks of us on the pitch. But mentality is something you can't buy. So every training session and every game you play, you have to go out there and show it, give it your all. If there's no mentality, game plans, tactics, performances don't amount to much. Mentality has to be there against every single opponent on every bowl you fight for. Uh, from the first friendly against Monte Catini to today, surely the tactical level was improved. This has to be the way we cannot afford to take steps back. When you go up against teams of this caliber, there's more competitiveness, more willingness to win no matter what. This was a friendly, but when you're out there inside that green rectangle, there is very little to suggest that it's a friendly. That's why tonight was fun. It was fun for both teams, and it's a motivator to keep playing like that against everybody. So, Sean, what do you make of those comments? Well, I was going to ask you, did, did you see a difference yesterday? Because I, I'll, I'll offer you up two points that I'm a little bit skeptical about. First of all, was that Mancini was, was asked the question first, right? So he has to be, um, he has to like jump on that bandwagon and, and be positive and say, yes, uh, you, know, he, you know, the coach has been drilling this in this. In this. And then, and then that, that snow was into a headline the next day about like how Roma all together, how they all reacted to, um, you know, Mkhitaryan getting fouled and they show unity, et cetera, et cetera. So it becomes a story of its own, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then the second point is that you just mentioned, um, and even Mancini mentioned that late in the game, Porto started to take control of the match uh, and that they were more physically prepared. And I think that that actually fits in line with what I, I, piece that I just found before we went on air, where I was looking at um, you know, intensity of play and um, I actually saw the saw the numbers from the Roma Sevilla match uh, in the Euro Europa League round of sixteen, if I'm not mistaken, two two seasons ago, where we just got played off the mm-hmm. park. But um, that was still a match of two halves. Like you know, Sevilla took the lead, okay, um, but they weren't 
so much playing intense in the first half. They were just letting Roma come out and play and then smacking them for it. But then the second half, as the match went on, you saw Sevilla actually turn up the intensity and Roma actually got tired and just had nothing left. And I think that was a common theme under Fonseca is that we started to question, is this team really trained for 90 minutes? And then you've just brought out that point yesterday again that you know Porto looked like they had the legs of a, of a Roma by full, full time. So did, did you see a difference there? Because I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical. Yeah, I mean, I think um, they showed a bit of a toughness we hadn't seen last year. You know, uh, most of the starting 11 that I would imagine starts for Roma started yesterday outside of uh, maybe if Xhaka arrives or Vertu, those kind of guys, because the, the midfield duo was Darboe and Diwara. But as you pointed out to me ahead of time, Diwara was good. So, you know, he could have his minutes there too. Cristante also wasn't available. So a lot of the midfield wasn't there, but every other position yeah. was pretty much filled in. Uh, I did see some good pressing, uh, but yeah, they do have to build into those 90 minutes. And I think this being the first match against like a top level side shows that there is work to be done. Mancini admitted that, acknowledged that. Um, but I did like the fighting spirit they showed. And I think if, if, you know, what Mancini is saying is true, where Mourinho is instilling that day in and day out, I think you will see it build up. Mm-hmm. You know, Mancini has emerged as one of the leaders of this side. We saw that last year. Uh, yeah. When the team was searching for leaders, but after Jekyll was stripped of the armband and not playing much, him, uh, Cristante, Pellegrini are the guys that kind of stepped up. Uh, Pellegrini, you know, given the armband by de- not not by default, but kind of was the next in line, so to speak, when Jekyll was stripped. But Mancini, for a guy who only wore it a couple times, when you know Cristante, Pellegrini were out, he's he's really taken on that leadership role. So if what he's saying is true, I, I think I'm, they're going I'm in the right direction. And he was actually the first to wear it in preseason this season. If I'm yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah, I agree with you there. It's definitely a good game from him. There'll be a good um, test too, Sean. I saw announced earlier today, uh, official word is that Sevilla will be facing off against Roma this Saturday. So uh, yeah. another top quality opponent. We get to see Monchi's uh, work going on over there. Um, and I think it'll be a good. I think it'll be a good test for Mourinho's side. Last time we got to see Monty's work, it didn't end too well. We, like there's, yeah. that, there's that Europa League match, so you know, let's see if we make any progress from from last time. Um, yeah, elsewhere in Trigoria, the well, not in Trigoria actually, but right now in Terminilo, uh, the Roma women are continuing their preseason retiro, and they actually um, they actually celebrated some news today with Anna Maria Satterini extending her stay at the club until 2024. Very unusual to have a three-year contract extension, probably the first at the club, I think. Uh, but it just shows her importance to Roma's present and their future. She was uh, last year's top scorer with the club, and she's also the, the record goal scorer at the club and, and the record appearance holder at the club with 75 appearances, played for Roma since 2018, and 30 goals, uh, almost a one-in-two player. Um, she, and is still very, very young as well. So, you know, really the sky's the limit for Sartorini if, if Roma can get it right in terms of team building. And then um, news that affects both the men's and women's teams Outside influences are holding up the official announcements of new signings on both sides. Matias Vigna has yet to be announced because he's doing a mandatory quarantine. Should be 10 days from the moment he landed at Fiorentino. Uh, I think it was last Thursday, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and so that that would be probably next week sometime. He'll be officially unveiled as a Roma player. And then it's, it's a similar story with Taisa on the women's side. Taisa, a, a veteran of the Brazil teams of recent years and uh, very impressive when she played for AC Milan and she's actually signing from Real Madrid. So she's taking a step down from more competitive football to come back to Italy and play with Roma, but she's facing delays, not just with quarantine, where she's uh, reportedly staying in the Aqua Acetosa district in Rome right now, 
but she's facing delays with her work permit being approved in Italy. So that's a little bit frustrating, but those are two new signings on the way. There could be more. Roma women are expected to announce the signing of 33-year-old Brazilian forward Barini soon. Not Fabio Barini, but Joyce Barini. Um, and we'll see how that goes, but I can't imagine she'll be anything more than a backup player if she comes here. And then on the men's side, Thiago Pinto is on the cusp of signing. Uh, Steve, you're going to have to help me for, for the rest of this episode with this name because I'm going to put it so hard. Uh, Eldor Shomorodov from Genoa. And uh, I get the impression he's going to he's going to cause more headaches than the, the El Shawari El Shawari fiasco of name pronunciation for us. But uh, I think we'll just call him Eldor. Um, he he's almost official. And then further back in midfield, Arsenal are holding firm on their Granit Xhaka evaluation of twenty million euros, and Roma are holding firm on their end. They, they don't seem to be willing to consider Xhaka as a twenty million player, rightly or wrongly. Um, and then. Elsewhere, even going back even further back up the pitch, it's Alessandro Florenzi is still he's he's still technically on leave because he's he was a Euro 2020 player with Italy all the way to the final and winning the thing. But um, the, the news is widespread news is that he is still his agent is still seeking a move elsewhere, preferably abroad. He doesn't want to come back to AS Roma. A lot of people make the assumption that Florenzi's biggest dream is just to keep playing for Roma for life. Uh, that's not the case with this new generation. You know, ever since Nazarossi openly dreamed about finishing his career in Argentina, ever since Lorenzo Pellegrini held out for a release clause on his first, you know, major contract with Roma, and uh, you know, Florenzi's in between those two generations, and he he he's really done with his Roma career, if you believe the reports. So he's seeking move elsewhere, but unfortunately, there's a lack of interest for the current wages that he's on with Roma right now. Um, news away from the football pitch is that Mayor Virginia Raji has claimed today that her party is the, quote, most open to receiving the Friedkin's bid for a new stadium as election season begins to warm up. So no surprise there. We did predict that every single electoral candidate for the mayoral elections in Rome this September, October this year, would absolutely jump on this stadium bid because it's a chance to, you know, to put it on your campaign ticket that you're, you're pro-jobs and you're pro-job creation. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, that's the end of the news. Let's get back to the Castro Mercato, Steve. Um, and the big, t- the big topic, the big theme that we're going to hit you with this week is: um, Are there similarities between what we're seeing from Thiago Pinto and Monchi back in 2018, 19, specifically, more specifically rather than 2017? Because um, so far, I'm seeing similarities, Steve. But you can keep me in check. You can tell me if I'm being unrealistic. Uh, maybe it's too soon to tell, or maybe these are just surface comparisons. But I'll, I'll, I'll mention a few details here, and you, you tell me what you think. First of all, you know, Thiago Pinto, having hired Mourinho, and that was his decision, along with the Freakins, is straightway a building for 4-2-3-1, like Monchi was in his second season on the, on the different, with Di Francesco at the helm. Uh, with, but more specifically, with the option to go to other formations. And that, that shows in terms of the, tar- the players that he's targeting right now. Two very different styles of player, you know, even though they play in different departments. You've got Jacka, who's more of a physical guy, um, who likes to uh, wait for the, the action to come to him so that he can you know, beat you physically uh, deep in the pitch. And then you've got this guy, Eldor, who's signing, uh, who's, okay, he's a forward, but uh, as you just, you just mentioned the numbers to me before you got on air, he's a high-intensity guy, high-pressing, likes to win the ball up high, likes to put in a lot of defensive work. So those are two, two different strategies being painted there. And that's really what Monchi was criticized for in his second season at Roma was that he 
you try to shoot for too much too soon and, and overspent and overshot his mark. And then you've also got Thiago Pinto looking for physically strong and experienced players uh, over really like the more technical quality guys that Petraki signed, uh, you know, Jacka being a, a prime example. Um, and he's, he's, looking to, he's looking to moves abroad, looking to sign players from the Premier League and from, from elsewhere, rather than looking for players inside of Italy, mostly. And also, having signed an experienced international goalkeeper, Andrew Patricio, who's, who's conservative when it comes to rushing out, uh, very much like Robin Olsen being signed back in 2018. Um, he's about to shine a shadow striker in Eldor, who's very much in the mold of, like, Gregoire de Frel. Like, does he play forward? Does he play on the wing? Does he play in between? You know, does he... Does he serve up assist to teammates? Or does he does he score goals? I know you just told me a little bit off air about that, so you'll have the answer to that one. Um, and then he's he's looking like like we said before for a physically dominant uh, deep midfield department. Like like you said, we could be replacing someone like Diawara with Jacker, um, and that's very reminiscent of the Cristante and Zonzi pairing, which was not necessarily the plan A back in 2018, but ended up being that for the majority of that season. So, uh, Steve, what 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 do you make of this? Are, are we just like Erasing the whole Petraki Fonseca era and going, you know, winding the clock back a little bit and, you know, going back to a plan that could have worked maybe with a more experienced coach this time rather than De Francesco. We've got Jose Mourinho in the club. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I hadn't even thought of this until you proposed the idea for the podcast today. But, you know, when you explain that the kinds of signings Roma is making, I can see some reasons why you would look at that comparison. You know, the, the experienced goalkeeper, Patricio. Uh, similar to Olsen, hopefully better than Olsen. You know, he's played, I, I think, for the most part at a higher level in his in his club team days, playing at Wolves and uh, those kind of clubs rather than Olsen, I, I believe. We signed, did so we sign I, him from... IFK. IFK yeah. 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 So getting him from a more proven perspective there, I think he's had almost 100 Portugal caps. So he's, he's pretty accomplished. Uh, looked good yesterday, but yeah, same kind of mold, you know, and I don't think Mourinho really cares if he's got a guy that rushes out as much with the the style that they play. He doesn't need a guy who can play the ball from the back the way Fonseca wanted. Um, yeah. But you you make a great comparison too, I think, with Defrel and Shamorodov because, you know, he's that kind of not necessarily an out-and-out number nine. I think at Genoa, they played a lot with the two-striker system, so he'd play off of Pondev or off of Destro, or off of Skamaka, usually. that was some combination of those four playing in a two-striker system. They were pretty loaded at Genoa when you look at, uh, compared to many other lower table teams. So they had a bunch of talent there. So he didn't start a whole lot. Um, you know, he came over from Russia uh, with Rostov, actually, right at the end of the Mercato last summer. He didn't join Genoa until um, October, I'm looking now, after the international window with his first appearance with Genoa was back on October 19th. So 31 appearances in Serie A. So he got on the field a lot, but it only totaled just under 1,700 minutes. So he didn't get a lot of starts early on. And when he did start playing considerably more time, he actually started scoring quite a few goals late in the season. Um, mm -hmm. In their last one, two, three, four, five, six games, he scored five goals, including a brace against Atalanta in a game where he came on at halftime and scored twice in 45 minutes. So uh, he's got some goal scoring ability, but yeah, in his career, I know one thing Bren tweeted about yesterday from the site account was that he hasn't scored a lot of goals in his career for a guy who's 26. I did not think he was that old um, when I saw him playing occasionally for general last year. Cause I'd never heard of him. I thought he was a younger guy from Eastern Europe. They had brought in, he's yeah. actually kind of getting into those prime years. So you would expect a little more goal scoring, but you pointed out he presses a lot. He was in the 95th percentile in Europe's big five leagues for pressing numbers, mm. which could be something maybe useful later in matches when you're trying to press the opponent into a mistake to either get a goal or maybe 
press them into mistakes as you're defending a lead so they can't get pressure on you. Um, yeah. And from what I've read, he can play a, a, a along the front three if Roma, you know, changes up tactics a bit. Um, because you're right, with uh, Jekko now obviously staying because, you know, they didn't make a move for an out-and-out number nine like a Belotti or something. They made this move. And yep. then you have Mayoral. There's no way this guy comes in and immediately supplants one of them as the number one or two striker. So I think they're looking at flexibility here because, you know, we've seen names like Kostic mentioned as a, another winger, but uh, right. maybe Pinto Marino decided, you know, instead of going out for another out-and-out winger, since we have El Shirari, we have Mkhitaryan who can cover that role. We have uh, Zaniol who's probably going to cover that role. We have Carlos Perez who can cover that role. Let's get a guy who can play wing or maybe come in as like a, a number nine when you want to really press the opposition, yeah. um, I think is the motivation yeah. behind it. But it seems like a steep price that they're paying yeah. for yeah. it. Well, well, we'll get on to the price in a second, but just to touch on your earlier point, um, that's the thing. Like back in 2018, even 2017, sorry, it was 2017, we signed the Frel um, and Chick in the same summer. You know, they, they, we tried this where we thought, okay, you know, we're, gonna, we're not going to, like we're not going to settle into just one style of play. We'll get we'll sign players who can like transition between that. You know, like they, they can pivot basically on the pitch mm-hmm. and give us different options. And when that didn't work, the accusation was one: the frail isn't good enough. Even though, like you said, like like this guy who's coming in, you know, the frail is a, a late bloomer. Um, even played like semi-professional football in his early twenties before he actually finally turned professional um, in France, and then was signed late by Sassuolo. Uh, was you know scoring good numbers with Sassuolo, but also was a support striker. Um, went for the same market price as Luis Muriel did from uh, I can't remember who was playing for at the time. I think Samp went to Spain. Yeah, um, same price, you know, and, and kind of similar price to what this this guy's being signed for now. I'm just going to call him Eldor because uh, that's <laughs> simpler for me. Um, and uh, but yeah, when it, it didn't work back then, and then retrospectively, people said, well, uh, one you play the you play the young guy out position, and the other guy simply wasn't good enough. So what's to stop that being, you know, the retrospective take on Eldor this time? Can, can Mourinho's experience turn this into a different outcome? I hope so. You know, he seems to know the type of player he wants, but, you know, most managers seem to know the type of player they want. So, um, you know, I, I, it's funny how they pull out these, like, obscure pictures, like Eldor met Mourinho, like, three years ago, took a picture <laughs> with him, and all of a sudden that's why Mourinho wants him. But yeah. uh, who knows? I'm, you know, Mourinho, we know, works his tail off in terms of, like, identifying players, you know, really studying the game. So I'm sure, you know, Pinto maybe brought him a list of feasible names and, you know, he kind of went through the, the reports and whatnot and, and maybe identified this guy as a guy who could help in different ways. Uh, you know, maybe he's that spark off the bench. You know, he scored two goals against Atalanta for a genocide that was lower to mid-table um, late in the season against Atalanta that was still fighting for, you know, their final position in the Champions League race. So, who knows? Maybe he can provide that spark. Maybe more, you know, uh, being more comfortable uh, in Serie A after being with Genoa for a full year helps him out. But it's definitely a step up, um, and we'll see what he can do. But I can definitely see the comparisons with Defrel. And if things don't work out, I think those comparisons will be even more warranted, as you mentioned. Like, you know, when Defrel wasn't now that, now that we put them out there, yeah, yeah, you know, when Defrel wasn't scoring ten goals or whatever after he was signed, he wasn't good enough. And and I remember yeah. him missing some sitters, uh, some some horrible misses in his time at Roma, yeah. which did not help I, his cause. But one one of them is really unlucky, where like he busted his ass off trying to like tap it in, and then ended up like shattering his kneecap on the goalpost, and he was yeah. out for a couple of months. So that's that just unlucky. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like you said, I remember missing some sitters as well. Um, you, you you talked about the price. What's your beef with the price here? 
I mean, from what I saw, it's going to be a loan. And I don't know if it's an option or obligation that kicks in after a certain uh, criteria is met because I've seen, you know, different reports, but it's, it's about yeah. 20 million euros uh, and yeah. then a 15% sell-on fee for Genoa if Roma sell them on for, you know, a, a profit at some point later on down the road. Which in, in itself is quite extraordinary for a guy who's 26, who's te- yeah. technically past his prime financially. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I think that Roma doesn't want to splash 20 million on Jaka, who is a guy who, you know, led Switzerland to a quarterfinal berth in the Euros, looked very yeah. good against France's all-star midfield, you know. Um, wh- why not spend the 20 on Jaka if you're going to do it on Shmordov? Uh, it's an interesting move, in my opinion. You know, you're not talking about, and well, he's rated on transfer market at like 10 million euros, you know, so it seems like they're yeah. overpaying. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a classic Roma overpay in that sense. Mm-hmm. I agree with you there. To, off, uh, to push but, the payment back, I feel like they're offering more money yeah. just to, to de- defer yeah. it another season. Yeah, I think, I think that's the key. That is what uh, changes the implications of this deal significantly from the Jacker one, because with Jacker, Arsenal looking for money up front. And not just that, but Roma's midfield is stacked right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got you've got players like Cristante Diwara. You know, no matter what you think of their level, they used to their team, they're on long-term contracts. Yeah. So if you haven't gotten rid of them already, what's to say you're just signing another player who, you know, could turn out to be a bust in, in a few years' time. You yeah. can't get rid of him either. Whereas uh, Roma's uh, picture in the attacking department is very different, where they have Jacko leaving next year. So, you know, if, if Eldor turns out to be a bust or, or, or let's say he's not an immediate success in the first season, at least you've covered your risk in that sense because Jacko's wages are off the budget next year. Yeah. Um, and if Eldor is a success, well, guess what? You haven't signed Borja, Meral, yeah. Kameni yet, so you can, you can let him go next year as well. Yeah, that was so my next point about Borja. This kind of hedges their bets that hopefully one or the other pans out. And then sure. if they're not the out-and-out out number nine you need, you could keep the one that's better and go out and get, you know, somebody else yeah. next year. Yeah, so I think there's there's just more breathing room there with the fact that um, the the fee for uh, Eldor is deferred till next summer, because then you really you can make some key decisions next next summer. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you sign Jack up front right now, you you're really like putting even more pressure on yourself to try and get rid of guys that you haven't gotten rid of so far in midfield. Um, so that's the difference for me. Uh, but I I do agree in general that twenty mil for this guy is a just classic Roma paying over the odds because what else, you know, what, what other edge does this, does this club have? Either do you pay over the odds for them to sign for Roma or they go elsewhere or they yeah. just don't move. So um, let's, let's stick to team building mistakes and, and see if, if there are any uh, other errors that Monchi made in the past uh, that Pinto can avoid this time around. If, if he's going for this, you know, hybrid system, hybrid strategy approach that we were speculating on right now. I think the, the, the biggest outright mistake that people have openly talked about within the club, other than Monchi himself, who's never said a word, but uh, other people in the club who were affected by it, you know, outright called, called this mistake out at the time. Uh, the Mediano department, the deep midfield department of 2018 with Nzonzi's rival turned out to be a mess because uh, it was a last minute signing after he, he yeah. couldn't get Malcolm across the line. He got Nzonzi late, late in August. And uh, the way it was communicated around the dressing room just made a you know very avoidable like uh resentment you know just boil underneath the surface between Azonzi and Daniel De Rossi at the time. Uh Azonzi was told a very different story to Daniel De Rossi about their respective importance to the squad. Azonzi was told that basically he's he's a starter and he might have to make it work alongside De Rossi at times, but either way he'll be taking the first team position. Daniel De Rossi was not communicated anything about that whatsoever. 
he was still in the impression as preseason kicked off before Zonti arrived that he was going to be a key key player that season. And as we know, as the season went on, he was waiting, waiting, waiting for the club to talk to him about a contract extension, and that talk never came until they told him, "Look, you're out." Um, so, what, Steve? My question to you is, in in a very general, big picture sense, right? I mean, put put all your allegiances aside, because I mean, you and me both giant giant um we, you know, we hold daniel zarossi in, in big self-esteem big esteem sorry um but just imagine he's any other player for now and so is Nzonzi, and so is uh you know coming to the present day so is jacko so is eldor you know, wh- where do you draw the line between how much uh, a player is owed an explanation for his service to the club and versus uh, a player just being expected to put himself to, at the service of the club, no matter what, you know, just be just answer the call of duty. You know, wh- whether you're whether you're a first team player this season or you've got to humble yourself and, and play a be- bench role now. You know, wh- where's the line between it? Like, what what? How do you deal with that as a, as a DS in terms of um, saying, okay, you you managed the team well or, or you made a mess? Yeah, I mean, to start, you you mentioned that. Zonzi was brought in after Malcolm fell apart. If you're looking to buy Malcolm, why do you go and buy Zonzi? That that was a whole, you know, another yeah. argument, you know, completely different type player, completely different position. Um, yeah. And, you know, even forgetting that it was dead Rossi, club legend, I think any player who's been with the squad, who's had an important role the previous season, and as far as going into deep into preseason is expected to have a similar role. I think they're, they're owed some kind of explanation that, you know, we're bringing in this guy, he's going to get important minutes, um, you know, you know, hopefully you're willing to sacrifice a bit of your minutes for the good of the squad. And I think even De Rossi, as much of a legend as he was at that point in his career, I think he knew that, you know, the squad came first. I don't, I, I see him as one of the least egotistical players for as good as he was. You know, I watched the, I don't know if you watched on Rye recently, they actually made it available worldwide, the um, Sonio Zuro docu- documentary. And De Rossi was one of the guys when he joined on, because it followed the path from, you know, the qualifying up to the tournament, he was just a humble guy passing out, you know, pennies during training and putting down training cones. Like he treated himself like the low man on the coaching totem pole with, with an Azuri squad, you know, uh, no matter what his stature was as a player. And I I feel like he handled himself the same kind of way as a player, you know? Um, So I think he would have been willing to sacrifice a bit for the squad, not, not sit the bench constantly, you know, nobody wants to do that, but um yeah, I, I think players, especially when they've been with a club, like I said, for some time and have given so much of a club, deserve some respect at least to at least sit down and talk to them about it. And it seems like you said that wasn't communicated to him. And then he yeah. was just dragged along, dragged along. And that the way he was treated at the end was, was absolutely disgraceful. Um, mm. Definitely the biggest black mark, in my opinion, on Polota was the way Totti and Darossi were treated at the end of their careers. Um, just because they were, you know, I don't know, kind of just, thrown to the wayside especially did Rossi. Toti at least had a I, yeah you know, I, I would, a year I'd to digest it I'd agree with you on Rossi. I think Totti was a, a mess of uh, the yeah. sense he's making that kind of like mm-hmm. inherited because he, he was Totti was promised a lot in terms of what he would yeah. do post career and then like the new board comes in and they're like well I don't know yeah, if you're yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. so that, that one was just like a taking time on no matter what but De Rossi was avoidable uh, yeah. in, my, in my eyes as well um but Okay, so you said that. Do you, do you give that same benefit of doubt to Edin Dzeko today? Because I, I don't, I don't see that that same benefit being given to Dzeko, despite the fact that he's put in a lot of time and service at this club. Yeah, I I know Dzeko has a lot of detractors, uh, a lot of Roma supporters who are done with him, want him out the door. It's clear now he's not leaving. You know, um, 
with with this signing and like I mentioned, not like a Bellotti type signing, a veteran striker who can lead the line, he's staying. And it seems like the yeah. feeling between him and Mourinho is very good. Um, you know, I Sorry, think just, he's just, just to clarify before you answer for anyone listening, where, where uh, the reason why I'm asking this is because now today, Pinto's situation, like you said, from jumping from uh, Malcolm to Nzonzi back then, you know, Pinto looks like he's jumped from Jacker, put it on the sideline for now, and is focusing on the front line um, and signing this guy from Genoa, Eldor. So, you know, that that kind of throws the, the cat amongst the pigeons in terms of Jacko, Mineral, and Eldor's playing time. So that's, that's why I'm asking you making this, this parallel. So yeah. Continue. Yeah. I think it's important to, to make the parallel because I think when we said Roma had to try and sign a striker this offseason, that was with the expect, expectation that Jacko would be gone, especially after yeah. the way he had the falling out with with Fonseca last season, but clearly it wasn't an issue with the club. It was more an issue with Fonseca on his part uh, Mm -hmm. in Jekko's eyes, because Jekko, he seems motivated. He seems like he wants to work with Mourinho and a veteran manager like Mourinho can do that with players. We've seen players that, you know, maybe would have been gone uh, with other managers, Jekko first and foremost, wanting to stay. I mean, even guys like Mkhitaryan who didn't have the greatest go under Mourinho, looks very motivated right now. So, you know, I guess that persona of Mourinho is having, a, a bit of a galvanizing effect in, in some ways. Um, but I think Jekko deserves the same kind of respect, you know, whether you, you like him or dislike him, this is where I was getting to before about some of the supporters wanting him long gone. The guy's given the club a lot of service and a lot of good service. You know, he's had his downs for sure. Um, and because he's not, you know, a, a club guy from the beginning, like Totti and De Rossi, he does get a little bit more flack for mm-hmm. when his downs come around because, you know, De Rossi, Totti, any player doesn't have a perfect track record at times. Um, but I think some conversation, I think Mourinho as a a veteran manager will probably have that conversation with Jekko. I think, you know, Jekko's expectation is he's starting. I think Jekko also knows at this point, he can't, can't start every match. I think he realized that last season too. I think, you know, at, at his age, was he 34 now or so he's going to need some, some matches off. So I think there's time to go around, but I think the most interesting thing to me, even more than Jekko, is Myerall. How does Eldor signing affect Myerall? Yeah. Well, first, I just want to say, when I watched the, um, just sticking on Jekko for a second, when I watched the, the which friendly was it? It was uh, the, the one that was broadcast on Sport Italia. It was, it was still in Italy against the lower league side. I can't remember but, which side it was. Yeah, I didn't watch any of the early friendlies. I know they played the Brezin the other day, and then they had a couple. Um, it was the match before the, the Brezin. Um, uh, was it uh, Triestina? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah. They went out to, to yeah, the East of Italy. They went out to Trieste to, to face Triestina, and in the first half, Mourinho. This is from the Sport Italia sideline commentator reporting back, and they said that Mourinho was like praising Jacko for almost the, the entire first half and telling the rest of the front line, which was Zaniolo, Mkhitaryan, and Pellegrini at the time, that they've got to do more to run into the spaces that Jacko was opening up for them. And, uh, you know, like, really just like, he, he was, uh, Mourinho's words were dead set on basically Jekyll being like the key man uh, up front, you know, no matter how you feel about it or not. So it's, uh, it seems like Mourinho's definitely got it in mind that he's, he's shaping some of those team around Jekyll. Maybe not, like you said, 90 minutes a game for every single game, but he doesn't seem to address him as if like he's a, uh, you know, and also ran or like yeah. a guy off the bench, you know, and won. He's, he's, he seems to be in the spine of this team. Um, does, does that, does that drive with your expectations as a fan, Steve? Because I mean, you know, we're trying to be, uh, you know, trying to be forward looking about Jose Marino's time at the club, but he's come in and, and some people 
would be very pro Mourinho, but we're maybe looking forward to Jacko being out the door. Yeah, you know, as it's playing itself, I, I really wanted Andrea Bellotti uh, as like the heir to Jacko, being that he's kind of in those prime years. I think he might be the same age as Sharomado, Shur- uh, Eldor. I'll just say Eldor because I just <laughs> butchered it too. I think, I but, think he's two um, years older. He's he's two older. years older, maybe 28. Yeah. So, um, but you know what? If you couldn't make a move in a way to get Bellotti at a reasonable price, who's out of contract coming up and Tardina was playing hardball or somebody of that level, you could do a lot worse than Jekyll leading the line still. Um, mm-hmm. He's still got quality. He's not going to have the legs he once had. But, you know, we saw last year at times the hold-up play is still there. He opens up, you know, lanes for his teammates. And with Zaniolo now back and Mkhitaryan, those guys can run off of those openings that he he opens up. You know, Zaniolo's a train. So yeah. if if he plays Zaniolo in compared to what he was doing with, like, guys like Pedro last season and, and some of those players – Roma could be more successful doing that. You know, I think he still can play an important role in this team with the Mourinho mentality. I'd be shocked if uh, when our first big, big match, I guess would be the Derby around week seven. If, if Ed and Jack was not starting the Derby up front yeah. uh, and yeah. even, even in those other big matches early in the season, as long as he's fit and healthy, I can't see him not starting for Roma right now uh, in the bigger yeah. matches. I, I think that's the way it plays out under Mourinho. And I think Roma could do worse. You know, would it be nice to have a younger maybe a little bit more able-bodied guy, six, seven years younger who can score goals. Sure. But I mean, you know, Jekyll scored over hundred goals for Roma for a reason. I think he's still got some good goals left in him. And it, you know what, yeah. if he can put in a 15 goal season, would, would, would you sign up for a 15 goal Jekyll season at this point? I, I definitely I'd sign yeah. tomorrow. If you, if you could give me that as a guarantee yeah. for sure. Um, at his age, that, that'd be extraordinary. Uh, it'd be like uh, the second coming of Coyarela. Uh, yeah. But um, yeah, there's, there's another guy you, you briefly mentioned. We're going to finally get onto him. He's, he looks like the odd man out with this new signing. Um, and like you just mentioned, that if we had a, a guy who was six or seven years younger and scoring goals, that'd be great. But we do actually have one. Yeah. His name is Boyan Meral. Um, so uh, is, is there any substance? This, this is like a little rumor that's been floating around in the news. We don't know how true this is, Steve, but I'm going to put it to you. Is there any substance behind the idea that Meral? You know, Mourinho's taken a look at him in these friendly games and he's and he's already leaving him out in the cold. And it's kind of like, you know, it made him plan C at best, if not, maybe put him in the shade. Is it, do, you, do you see any signs that Mourinho doesn't fancy better off for this team? I don't know, because I didn't watch the first few friendlies. Like I mentioned, Porto was the first one I really sat down and watched, but he was scoring goals in the first few friendlies. I mean, what's there to, to dislike about someone who's scoring goals? <laughs> you know, um, I, I think he scored four or five goals in those first three friendlies, you know, against lower competition, but... He, his goal scoring rate was better than Jekko's and Shimordov's last season from when I did a player comparison yesterday. I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head per 90 minutes, but they were uh, slightly better from what I remember. And, you know, he scores goals. I don't think he's the kind of striker Mourinho is going to look to against the Juve's and Inter's of the world. Uh, but I, I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't get starts against the, the lower ranks of Serie A at minimum, like he was last season in the conference league and places like that. Um, I can't see Shimordov instantly supplanting him as the number two. I think he would take some work from Shimordov and, you know, he'd really have to impress right away. I think, what, what do you think? Uh, I'm still holding out for my, you know, I know, I know you think this is pie in the sky, but I'm holding out for Roma shocking the world and going to a two strike formation. And uh, you get, get Shimordov in with, um, with Mayoral as a two. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's no disrespect to Jacko. Like I agree with you that for the big games, they're probably just going to stick with Jacko in the headline games like Lazio, the Derby. But uh, throughout the season, you've got plenty of opportunities in all three competitions to, to actually start 
moving the, the, the football to something like a two-striker system. And I think that uh, the pairing of Shomorodov um, uh, and Mayoral, you know, as unspectacular as, and as, as unfancied as they may be as leading men for their, their, their front line, they don't have to be leading men if they just uh, come on, on as a pair, you know, yeah. combined. And then that, that also, to me, favors uh, Stefan Elshawari as well, because he, I've always felt like he could do well as a support striker in a two two man up front system, mm. so that that brings him into play more as well. Um, but even yeah, Zaniolo we'll, maybe too as a support striker true. could work. Yeah, yeah, very true, very true. Um, we've also seen that from Henrik Mkhitaryan over the mm-hmm. you know, briefly over the last two years. But um, yeah, we're going to continue this talk right after this commercial break. Okay, we were just talking about strikers, the front line, and how Eldor represents the shift away from the. Early preseason thinking where the Rumble were very focused on midfield and possibly playing a, a deeper team that, that stays back and wins the ball and then goes up on the on the break to uh, plan B where Eldor, you know, a guy who is a very high intensity guy um, who wins the ball early, like defends high up from the front. You know, is Steve, is do you do you feel comfortable as a fan with uh, you know a sporting director like Thiago Pinto going in with uh, you know load, stacking up the team with different strategical options or do you would you rather there be like a cemented plan a first before you start exploring plan b and c and so forth yeah i mean it's always good to have options especially for a manager like Mourinho, who you know has a lot of experience can maybe read the match and see where a match is going and maybe change things up have the team prepared to play in different ways um Mm -hmm. but in some ways yeah it is i think it's important to have plan a you know locked up first if jaka is plan a and that's the midfielder you want to play with vertu or whoever he sees starting in that two-man midfield in four two three one uh i think it's important to have that locked up before you start committing money elsewhere but Mm -hmm. i mean roma was always going to need another another forward from what we thought um so i guess this is their way of kind of covering the wings and this and the center forward position at once um, you know, maybe pushes Kostic his name out the window, which we heard rumored a lot and things like that. So uh, I guess it's just another option to, to cover the whole front line and, and use him. You know, we saw Roma press quite a bit yesterday. And I guess if Roma wants to take the pressing to another level, Eldor is the perfect kind of player to do that. Um, mm. Because Mikatarin was working hard yesterday. Zaniolo was working hard yesterday. Pressing Pellegrini, you know, we've seen the past year has really improved his his uh, ability to play defensively and get into passing lane. So maybe this is the perfect signing for those matches where you want to press the hell out of an opponent. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, you approach different matches with the Jaka, you know, type player, maybe, you know, and we said Jaka and Cristante are similar, but maybe in certain matches where you'd rather absorb a little pressure and out physical a team, a Jaka Cristante pairing works well in the midfield. Who knows? Yeah. You make excellent points there. I, I, I just, I, I definitely think, see them as two distinct players because I, I would not be comfortable with, for example, us pressing up high with a uh, you know front line led by Zaniolo Eldo, who you know a, a can put in that defensive work high, and then they're backed up by a midfield of like Jaka Cristante, who, as we know, they you know they're very attracted to the ball. They like they like to try and take on the lion's share responsibility by pressing up high, but they leave space in behind them. Yeah. They're not necessarily the best at closing lanes. Um, you know, if if you're going to press high, you want uh, like a high anticipation high interception midfield like uh like like the midfield that diawara vr for example was meant to be i'm not saying mm-hmm. they were always successful at it but that's that's what their style is based really based upon is intercepting the ball early and closing down those lanes so i think they're distinct styles but um you know i think that the the positive thing for me is having someone like Mourinho at the club who's experienced 
um, because he's not so different from Paolo Fonseca. You know, like I feel like I let myself get overly conditioned by what people talk about um, in terms of like how they remember people in retrospect. Because you know, Fonseca is going to be remembered as a guy who um, had a formation and a system, right? But really, when you look at the numbers from beginning to game with Roma, he was a a guy who was highly reactive to whoever you're playing at the time and what the scoreline was. You know, like the, um, I, I, I put some notes down here about, again, the PPDA, passes per defense in that action, which is a, a measure of uh, your intensity of pressing. Like the more, the more passes you allow to happen in front of your team before you actually, you know, throw in a stick in the leg, try and win the ball back, uh, the higher that number, the, the, le- the less intense your, press, your pressing is generally as a team. The lower your PPDA, the higher intensity uh, you bring to the pitch as a team. So the PPDA under Fonseca last season was an average of 10.72 passes per defensive action. That was the ninth highest pressing team in the league. That's, that's, not, that's not very high for Roma. You know, Roma as a big club, big big stature club, are capable of, of jumping up higher there, um, especially in, in you know games against small teams. You'd expect them to go higher at the pitch. And that's what they did against like teams like Lecce. Uh, they, their PPDA went down to nine, but then, but then they went to the Europa League and they went away to Braga and their PPDA went, jumped up to 23. So they just they sat deep. And we, we saw it yeah. in the next round against Ajax as well, where they just sat mm-hmm. deep and invited pressure onto them. And you know, they had that kind of like game-to-game management uh, from Fonseca where he was, he was actually very fluid in that sense. He was almost like overly aware of who you're playing and, and what the scoreline is. And Mourinho is very much in that mold as well. You know, he's not, he's not a system-based coach whatsoever. He's just, he just wants to beat the opponent, you know? Um, but and, and just to give you some more numbers, you know, compared to like uh, PPDA under Eusebio Di Francesco, uh, it was 8.53 uh, pass the defensive action in his first season at the club in 2017-18, and then it jumped up with that whole Inzonzi Cristante fiasco in in uh, Dignity Field in 2018-19, where people felt like that didn't work in the end. It jumped up to 10.53, which is an enormous jump to take under a guy who. Um, really favors four three three as his like his you know his his love child. Um, so that is uh, you know that's just to paint a little picture about like how but you know Roma used to be a very high intensity pressing team in the in the mid two thousand tens. Like that PPDA was even lower under Spalletti and Rudy Garcia. It's just in recent years that it's it's like Roma have been uh, willing to let the opponent play the ball more and really play this cat and mouse game, especially under Fonseca. And that may that may continue under Mourinho. But then you have you have someone like Jacker who is very much in that mold of cat and mouse football, um, because Arsenal under Arteta last season, PPDA of thirteen point sixty four. So only the thirteenth highest pressing team in in the Premier League last season. You know, again as a team with Jacker at the heart of it, who just sat back almost like England in the Euro twenty twenty final against Italy. You know, knowing that their defenders are strong, physically strong, they can win duels. Um, and just say, look, come at us, uh, you know, launch balls over the top at our, at our defense all you want. We're going to beat you defensively, and then we're going to go out the other end of the pitch. Um, that is very much the antithesis to signing, you know, someone like Eldor, for mm-hmm. example, who, like you said, you, you mentioned those numbers before. It's ni- one of the 95th percentile players in the big five leagues for pressures um, in the game right now. So, um, you know, to me, that they're, they're distinct plans, but I, I'm, I'm excited by the fact that given that Roma are used to already going like trying different approaches week to week on the Fonseca for the last two years, that they're going to stick to that under Mourinho, but Mourinho is more experienced. So hopefully 
just like we said in previous episodes, that the mental and the emotional approach to the game changes and improves. Um, but you're not tearing up completely the playbook and starting from scratch in that sense. Yeah. And I, I just thought of something when you were talking about the way England played with the big defenders like Maguire and Stones. Do you think that's why, uh, you know, Mourinho sees Xhaka as a good fit? Because when you look at Roma center backs, Smalling, Mancini, Ibanez, and Kambula are all fairly physically strong, uh, yeah. can win aerial duels, will mix it up with opponents. They're, they're kind of tough guys. Do you think that kind of favors Xhaka's play in front of them? Yeah, I mean, you can you can definitely. Uh, I remember when Mourinho was coaching at Chelsea, he, he described um, his back three or four, like uh, talking about the two central defenders and, and the midfield in front of them, um, as like the triangle of steel, where it was Carvalho, Terry, and Makalele, and maybe someone else like Sien, maybe from time to time, and like that. That was like that was the hurt locker, really. Mm. There. Like if, if if opponents put the ball in the area, Chelsea would murder them. And just say, look, you're not going to get any joy here, so try something else. So I, I, I don't see anything wrong with going that approach. Um, the, the, as we see, though, sometimes it, it backfires if you're overly confident. You, know, you drop too deep in the yep. game too early, and then Italy beat you in the final. And yep. you just lost to Wembley. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, the, the, that, that's probably why it's a good idea to have different options so that you yeah, don't agree. get too really stuck to one. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, let's move on to. One of the uh, questions that we seem to have to confront every season, which is, are Roma still a setting club in 2021? Uh, different circumstances this, this summer where financial fair play is suspended. We don't even know if it's coming back in January 2022, which was the original plan declared by UEFA last year. Or maybe, it's, maybe it'll be scrapped entirely. We don't know. But I think, that, I think Roma and every other club has to operate on the assumption that it's coming back by this coming January. Um, so will Roma need to clear some players off the books and some major sales uh, by between now and then, uh, Steve? How, how do we rate Thiago Pinto's outgoing moves so far? So far, the only permanent sale has been Jengis Unger. Under, sorry. Um, do, did we expect better by now, or is this the most we can expect in this very difficult pandemic-struck market? Yeah, it, it's a tough situation for many clubs. We haven't seen a lot of movement around Europe, like we said. Very few clubs are making big splashes, big big sales, big purchases, you know, outside of, like, those big powers like PSG, who's got money to burn. Um, you know, Milan's made a couple moves. Um, but it's funny, one of the best moves I've seen in Serie A so far is Juan Musso going to Atalanta, because Atalanta is so um, yeah. fiscally in good Rush. health. Yeah, yeah, you know, they're, they're flush with cash because of the way they operate, and then Champions League revenue for three straight seasons has made them almost into a power, and if they go and move uh, Romero to Tottenham or one of these teams that he's been linked with for big money. Watch out because they're going to have tons of cash to, to splash smartly, which is what they do. Um, But, you know, so far I wouldn't say Roma has been a selling club this summer because the moves they've been making are moves with players that they don't want there anymore. You know, Chengi Zunder, Justin Kluivert, Paul Lopez, uh, sooner or later, Robin Olsen will be moving probably to France. It looks like a couple other French teams were linked with him today you know, um, rescinding the contract. What about the next name I'll bring up? Because this, this is the real reason why I'm focusing mm-hmm. on this team right now and, and pitching at you is because today, Jimmy just posted and wrote, wrote about this today. Um, it's been reported, rumored that Gonzalo Villar is the next in line on the chopping block. Um, you know, and Gren described it as, quote, the, the budget sacrifice for this summer's gentle window. So is, is Villar in your mind surplus the requirements with Roma's playing style right now or is he is would it be is he a sacrifice in terms of like he's a big potential talent and uh, but Roma just need some big money coming in yeah so this is an interesting one because we talked 
you know, when Mourinho was first hired about guys who could be maybe surplus goods uh, in, mm. in terms of the way Mourinho plays and Diwara and VR were two of the guys we brought up that might not be the best fits for his playing style because, you know, they're not ballers like Jaka and they're not physically imposing like Cristante in the midfield and the work rate isn't there like Vertu and guys like that. Um, you know, I thought DOR would be more likely to leave. He had a good match yesterday. Maybe he's got a little more value under Mourinho than we would have expected. He also maybe hasn't had the market that Roma has wanted him to attract. Um, so maybe VR is the guy because now if Jaka comes in, you have too many midfielders. So in a way, it's like he's a young kid being sacrificed for a big plus Valenta because they can sell him for like 30 million euros, which you would imagine they could probably squeeze out of somebody for a player of his caliber, especially if it's like an Atletico Madrid comes calling. Um, it seems like a sacrifice, like a selling club move, but if he doesn't fit what Mourinho wants and you expect Mourinho to be here for the next three years, is it really a selling club move or is it a fiscally smart move to bring in some excess cash and not even really excess in Roma's case, but maybe bring in some cash to help wash out some of that, that debt that we've been seeing the same way they've been trying to get big salaries out the door um it's just good strategy yeah it's just good strategy which i think it could be if Mourinho is going to be here for three years um and not because i don't like vr but i think vr might not be the best fit for this this style of play and he could bring in money i i see where you're coming from yeah it could be a move where everyone benefits in in the short term um so i yeah it's hard to disagree with anything you said there um well uh, what about incoming you know this is one final point that uh, people have uh, an issue with Monty's legacy at the club uh, while we're comparing him to Thiago Pinto today is the the big money signings that, that Monty splashed out on. Uh, we're talking about like guys, but not, this isn't just limited to Monty actually. This, this, this continued after them, but we're talking about the, the likes of Javier Pastore, Brian Cristante, Max Kumbala last season actually signed for, you know, I know the press conference, the press release was like, oh, we've only spent 13 mil cash, but he's a 27 million player mm-hmm. uh, on the accounts. Steven Zonzi uh, in that in that ballpark area, 29 and a half of you. Leonardo Spinazzolo, again, book value, 29 and a half million pound signing, uh, Euro signing, sorry. And then, of course, the, the most expensive signing of all, Patrick Schick, for uh, eventually, I believe it was 40 million, but uh, it could have been as high as 42 and a half million. Um, so, will you know, looking at moving forward now rather than looking backwards, you know, under Thiago Pinto, will Roma fans ever? see the likes of Roma splashing out uh, and taking that kind of risk if they if they identify like a talent that could push them to the top four um and if if Thiago Pinto does do this whether it be this summer or next summer maybe under Mourinho's pressure to do so um will we ever feel comfortable about it as Roma fans or, or should it be avoided I think we will see it happen again, but not this summer. I think the most you're going to see Roma spend is that in that 20 million range, which nowadays is not a big, big money signing like it was years ago. Um, I think it's going to have to be next year if it happens, if Roma can qualify for the top four, say, and they're in the Champions League next summer. Jekko's salary is coming off the books. You know, they're, they're going to be in Europe. Maybe that's when you splash the money for a big striker. Uh, yeah. maybe, the, maybe the Freakins feel more comfortable doing that because financially – Things are improving. They've got the Stadio della Roma, you know, plans approved by the city finally. You know, maybe Raji or whoever maybe defeats her in the election comes through and it comes good on the promise that they will have their own stadium, you know. Uh, Then maybe you feel more comfortable splashing the cash. Hopefully they identify the right player and you don't end up with a Pastore or a Zonzi or a Schick even because those players didn't pan out at the end. You know, Cristante spent money on him, you know, 
he's, but he's become a pretty important player for the team. Um, the thing that impresses me, I'm just going to mention him quick is because he's on this list. He didn't live up to the billing in terms of like the 10 goal midfielder we expected, but mm. he does whatever the team asks. And when you yeah. talked about De Rossi and Zonzi earlier in the show, that's who I thought of because when De Rossi was here, he said, I'll take 11 Cristantes any day because this guy will do whatever it takes for the team. He sacrificed for the team. And yeah. we've seen the same thing with Italy. He, whatever he was asked to do by Mancini, he had a more important role than I expected him to have at the Euros. Yeah. Um, so and, sometimes and the price tag can be validated in other ways. Exactly. He can, he can take away the cost of having to sign someone else by, mm-hmm. by performing multiple roles. And yeah. like, like it's not the same thing for Italy. You know, if you, if you've got a 26 man squad limit and you've got, you know, choices to make, Cristante is a solution to that. Yeah. So you I know, agree with that. Kumbula jury's still out. We'll see if he doesn't improve under Mourinho, then it's a problem because this is a guy who's a pretty defensive minded coach in many ways, knows how to, you know, work with defenders. Then I'm going to be worried about Kumbula's price tag. If, if things don't improve this year, Spinazzola, I mean, poor guy, if he didn't blow out his Achilles, God knows how good he could have played this year for Roma. He was on fire at the Euros looked great for Roma last year at times. So that's kind of an unfortunate one, but he was starting to live up to that price tag. So, you know, Roma has been hit or miss with those big money signings, but yeah, I think if you're asking me, will it happen again? I think next summer hmm. or the following summer would be the more likely scenario when Roma needs a big striker for big matches or something like that. Do you have, do you have a name in mind? Is there anyone who sets your heart racing in terms of like you, you believe, you no, know, not just that you like them, but you really believe they could uh, push Roma to the next level in terms of returning to being a, a regular top four club again? Yeah, it's it's tough because, you know, the the guys that could do that for you right away, like uh, Nico Barella is already at Inter, you know. Um, yeah. He's that kind of player. What, what I, if Inter goes so badly broke they have to sell us Barella? I mean, if you could sell, if you could get, if you could splash fifty million for Barella because they're desperate to sell him next summer, the Freakins have the money to pony up. By all means, you do that in a <laughs> You know, there are some guys out there that might grow into that role. You know, I'm focused more on Italy because that's that's where I watch you know the most football. But you know, we could end up going outside of Italy with the the scouting department we have now in Pinto, the way he operates, much more in a Sabatini like way outside the peninsula. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they identify somebody that can do it, or maybe there's a young Italian striker like a Scamacca who really burst onto the scene this year with Sassuolo, and then next year Rome was willing to pony up 40, 50 million euros from who knows. I wish we got Renato Sanchez, man. Yeah, that was one that looked like yeah. it would have been a nice signing. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll just finish it off talking about the, the actual football. We've talked about Tiago Pinto and transfers and money this whole episode, but Let's talk about what happens on the pitch and, and going to the coach, Jose Mourinho, um, especially with the youth. That's a, that's a, another big question mark that's yet to be resolved and probably won't be resolved by the end of the summer, but uh, we'll get a clearer picture in terms of whether you know these young players are still at the club at the end of August or not. Um, Steve, uh, yes, from what you've seen in the friendly so far, I don't know how many you've watched, but are there any performances among the young names that you like so far? Uh, let me n- name some for you so you don't forget anyone. Nicholas Zaleski, uh, Filippo Trippi, uh, Ebrima Daboe, Riccardo Carafiori, Riccardo Ciervo, and Eduardo Bove. Uh, who can survive this summer call and actually break into the senior squad under Mourinho this season? Yeah, so I think Calafiori's got the best chance early in the season to make an impression. He's back from, you know, he was a little slow early on in the preseason because he was injured. Started yesterday, didn't have the greatest match. You know, uh, I think there's still some room for improvement there, fitness-wise and everything, but with uh, Vini as his main competition at left back, maybe he gets some chances early on to impress. And, you know, he sees more time than we expected with the Vini signing. Um, so I think he sticks around definitely because he was a re- he was always going to be the backup left back. 
Um, it becomes interesting when Spinazzola returns, if he's back by the second half of the season, if you know what that situation looks like with three left backs. Um, Darboe, I, I saw yesterday, not his best match from what I saw, was pulled at halftime in favor of VR. Um, right. I, I think Mourinho likes him enough to keep him around, but if you bring in Jaka and don't sell VR, where's the playing time for him is my biggest question. Is it better to loan him out to you know a mid-table, lower-table team that just it, came up? He's had that long-term contract he just signed. So that, does that imply to you he's going out on loan or is he staying? It's interesting. Like I said, because if Jaka comes in, even if you sell VR, the, he's no more than probably your sixth midfielder in a two-man setup right now. Um, Although I, w- I would point out about Daboy, I actually find him more impressive as an attacking midfielder, at least at under-19 level from what I've seen, than in the deep midfield department. But seeing a game is a different story. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe the only way he can hang at senior level is, is in deep midfield. I could see them keeping him around for like conference league matches if Mourinho yeah. likes him enough to get him some playing time, you know, because uh, I think what the way the conference league works, I think they have to play a couple of play-in games before the actual group stage if I know how it's set up yeah. correctly. So yeah. there's going to be some matches. I think the first couple conference league matches, you probably play uh, a lot of your starting 11 to get some minutes under their legs in the summer uh, ensure that you qualify uh, just so then you can start using those kind of younger rotation players in the conference league. I think he'd be the second most likely to stick around, but you know, Zalewski, we've seen some flashes. He scored a goal already. Um, but I, I feel like loans might be in the best interest of a lot of these guys. What do you think? I, I'm, I was really impressed with Zalewski uh, at both levels. Like even the way he plays at the senior level, I was very impressed. And I felt like he, he gives us like, first of all, a lot of people say we need a free kick taker. He's a free kick specialist. Um, also a set piece specialist because he, he's great at taking corners too. Um, but given that we're signing uh, Eldor now, I think, mm-hmm. like you said, that, that really significantly cuts down his opportunities and maybe alone is best for him. Uh, Trippi, I honestly have to, I have to be honest, it's nothing against the guy, but I've never been impressed by him. Um, I know that he can play multiple positions. He can play midfield. He can play defense. But I just don't. Like, I've never seen anything that makes me think like, I just don't feel nuts about him. So it, what, whatever happens to him is kind of like here, neither here nor there for me. Uh, that boy, you know, like I was saying earlier, I just, I just, I think like, like VR and, and like, like the point you're making about Cristante, he's not limited to one position. He can play several different roles in a team in a squad. So he has the most opportunity for me um, uh, alongside Calafiore because circumstances have pushed him into a more urgent need but my big doubt with Calafiori is just staying fit yeah you know like just just constantly it seems like even yesterday like he played okay but at one point he went down with a like it looked like he was injured again mm-hmm. and I was just like oh my gosh like just can this kid just please just stay out of trouble for just one week um Chervo I really like but there's too many too many guys like him at the club like he's like a the next in line to be Zaniolo and we've already got Zaniolo. So, you know, it, it's, I find this, he's just too similar to, to what we already have. And I don't think he's got place at this club, but that's, that's no, that's not to say he's not good enough. I, I really, I like his game and I think he can do big things, but I think he's, I think he's way, way too similar to what we have already to be staying around here. Uh, Bove, I honestly don't think, like, I love Bove because he gives away nothing for free. He's he's turned into this like tough tackling guy over the years who just like really really fights for his place because like he's gone through some serious injuries in his in his young career already, and he's had to fight back his place into the team. And he's and the more he's done that, 
the more he's become like how you know like how kevin Strootman changed from like a mm. all-round guy into a guy who just like is just mean you know um just to prove that he can hang and that, that's bove he's got that spirit so i like that but I, I don't think he's technically good enough at this level like he needs to improve in so many areas that i think he's probably going to a lower league side by the end of the summer so long story short i agree with you it's darbo and calafiori but i feel more confident about darbo than Fury purely because of fitness problems, that's all. Yeah, and I think even with Darboe, if they keep him around and they find there's too many midfielders and maybe in the later rounds of the Conference League, if you advance, you'd rather play more senior players to try to win something. You mm. could even loan him out in January if the minutes yeah. aren't going to be there. It doesn't hurt to train with the first team for six months under Mourinho's tutelage. Uh, same thing maybe even for Zalewski. You know, you never know. Maybe they decide to keep him around for the first six months and then loan him out in January. Uh, yeah. it, it, it could happen. Um, yeah. So Chiervo, I'm not too familiar with Chiervo, but do you think he's the type of player, you said he's good enough to be in the squad, but there's too many, too many players like him. Do you think if like yeah. a Carlos Perez was moved on from, eventually he could be back in Rome? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, the thing is like he, he, he started out as, a, as an attack, like a, a wide forward. And then last season he was moved back as to being a wing back because uh, as we know, Alberto De Rossi likes to, mirror the formation that the mm-hmm. head, head coach plays. So once Roma started playing 3-5-2, uh, that's what Roma Primavera started playing. And the guy who played out wide right was Calafiori, but he, he essentially moved back, uh, back up the pitch. And, and he, he, was, he was good at that as well. He's just like a very, he's a good sprinter. Um, he can beat people individually. Like he can take them on and, and brush past them. And he's got a shot on him. And he's got a final ball as well. He's got vision. You know, he can put in a cross and, and serve up an assist as well. But the guy who's in that lane right now is, is Nicolas Agnolo. Yeah. Um, and and there are a few names like him as well. So I just feel like he's uh, Trevor's got to take a loan elsewhere. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see where, what kind of places Pinto can find for these players. Hopefully places where they'll play. You know, you notice we didn't even mention Alessio Riccardi, how poor the loan went with Scotta <laughs> last year. So it shows how quickly these guys can, you know, disappear off the radar. So hopefully yeah. these guys find loans that either are in, you know, the upper echelons of Serie B or the lower echelons of Serie A where they're going to get the minutes to improve because yeah. that's the most important thing. Exactly, yeah. Um, I was going to ask you if, if we saw any changes in the, in the friendly so far, but we more or less answered that uh, when in the opener when he spoke about what we saw in the friendly. So uh, more, more specifically, I'm going to ask you, uh, have we seen any changes of attitude from the established stars? You know, besides, besides Gianluca Gomacini, was there anyone else out there on the field so far that someone that you've seen is, is showing that they're already grasping this opportunity of a fresh slate under Mourinho with both hands? Like I'm talking about less popular names like Diwara, Carlos Perez, who you just mentioned, or even Lorenzo Pellegrini, who you know can be a contentious name in terms of like his his ups and downs, his consistency. So is there are there signs here that Mourinho is having an effect on the team? I only watched the one match, like I said a couple times, but um, from what I read, Perez, he didn't play a lot yesterday, but he was somewhat impressive in the other friendlies from what I understand. Is that true? Yeah. 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 A, in my opinion, very true. Yeah. And then Diawari yesterday seemed like he's taking the opportunity to impress Mourinho and, and running with it a bit, at least in yesterday's friendly. Um, yeah. Looking at his current situation, he sees Cristante's not around right now. Vertu is hurt. Jaka hasn't arrived. It's maybe his chance to impress enough that if the Jaka move falls apart, maybe, you know, Mourinho and Pinto are like, well, maybe we don't need to spend 20 million. Who knows? Yeah. I, I think I think the issue with Diohara is he has this good game in him, but it's the consistency. Yeah. You know, like he, he can go good one week and then next week just doesn't show up. So yeah. um it's you know, he's got to string a few games together to really convince people. And he's he's got very limited time to do that mm-hmm. with the you know, the window coming so close to an end. 
Um, yeah, we've more or less we've more or less wrapped this episode up, Steve. So what, what's next coming on CDT this this week? Um, or next I, week, actually, because yeah. we're it's Thursday now. Um, coming up, I know that you know. Hopefully, the Venia signing will be announced formally. So once that happens, I also have a Venia piece in the you know in the the write up you know machine we use, waiting for mm -hmm. the announcement. Kind of comparing how his game matches up to Spinazzolo's based on his numbers and you know the little bit of video I've seen on him. I'm not in any way an expert on you know Brazilian football or Uruguayan football, um, mm -hmm. but I kind of explored the numbers to see the way he plays and how that might affect. Uh, you know, the, the way Roma approaches the match. I also, you know, this past week talked about Karsdorp's role. I thought one thing that surprised yeah, like me yesterday, Karsdorp wasn't as offensive as I thought he would be yesterday. It seemed like Calafiori was pushing the flank more, which kind of surprised me. Yeah, I, I liked that piece he did on Karsdorp. I thought it was very, very, like, had a lot of meat to it. And um, it made a lot, like, some two or three very key points. Um, and, like, in preseason, as, you, as you've mentioned, so far what we've seen from the touchline is, Mourinho having to tell both Reynolds and Karstorp down that right side to attack more. Yeah. To not, to not stand back so deep and actually push up earlier. Which is surprising because Karstorp coming from Holland had that reputation of the attacking fullback. So maybe it's just he's got to reteach himself that after being the more defensive-minded guy opposite Spinozola last year. But we also have our uh, positional previews coming up in the next couple of weeks, you know, from August 1st to like, I guess, the 20th or so before the first match. We're going to be busy with our positional previews. Uh, our women's and men's under 23 countdowns. We uh, got our under 23 countdown, you know, sorted out between the four of us. Uh, I'm going to start working on those pieces. And then, you know, we'll have our roundtables later in the summer. Anything else you can think of, Sean? No, that's pretty much it. Other than the rumor, I heard that you were you were hired by Walter Sabatini to scout, uh, scout <laughs> South America. Is that, is that any, truth, any truth to that? No truth to that rumor. Uh, I, I was on David Amayel's podcast, uh, Coucherland podcast, which is dropping tomorrow. But that's the, the closest I have to a second gig. He just had me on as a guest. So uh, okay. if anybody wants to listen to that interview, I'm on there talking Roma uh, starting tomorrow when he releases. Yeah, we look forward to it. We look forward to it. That, that wraps up. 52 of Across the Room of Us. And if you have any comments, as usual, you can always find us. Join the conversation at kzdetotti.com, our forum with a, with a new comment system. Whether you like it or love it, you've got to learn to love it. Uh, it's, it's up and, and alive, and uh, you, can, you can join and post a comment there and have your opinion, say your two cents. Or you can find us on Twitter at kzdetotti, and you can find this podcast on all the major networks uh, anywhere in, in the, on the web. But until then, bye for now. Thank you.